All right, Mark 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 9. One announcement. If you get our email newsletter, you know that we're in the process of rotating uh, people onto our admin team. We're at the, 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 we've taken nominations. There were 44 people nominated, 34 guys and 10 women were nominated. Uh, was, I think 25 of those people said yes. And so we're putting those names back out to the congregation. And if you have any reason why you think one of those people can't serve or is not fit to serve in terms of their character, we want you uh, to take the next couple of weeks to pray about that. And uh, next step would be to approach them about that. And if that if you're approaching them one-on-one doesn't solve the issue, then you can bring it to me. So this is not about whether somebody has the skills. It's not a competency issue. It's a character issue. So think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If those things are lacking in one of those folks as you go down the list that you know firsthand, then I want you to go to them and say, hey, I don't I'm not seeing this in you, and I don't know if you, if you really need to move forward with this team. And then, again, if, if y'all can't work that out, then bring it to me. Uh, we have had a couple of people say, where are the women? There's only two. And, again, we had ten women nominated. Eight of them said it's either not the right fit or not the right time. But I want to, just a bigger picture. The admin team is one of seven leadership teams that we have. We have a team over children, students, uh, worship, small groups, pastoral care, missions, and then admin. There's 36 people total in those teams, and 19 of them are women. So I don't want you to think we don't value women in ministry or women in leadership. We just we went with the, with the people that we had who were willing to serve in that role at this time. If you have any questions about that, you can email Kim, Kim at StonebridgeMarietta.org. Okay, Mark 9. So I want you listening to this through the lens of spiritual high, mountaintop, and then most of life lived on the plain, not in the valley, but on the plain. You've been to Kennesaw Mountain. Most of life is lived in the parking lot, not at the summit. So that's what we're talking about. Listen to this through those lenses. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So that's the, that's the summit. Now we go down to the parking lot. Verse 14. When, when they came, so that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What, what are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed them of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him in the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything's possible for the one who believes. 
Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So, mountaintop, parking lot. So you may not think the last three weeks, you may not feel like that was a spiritual high for me. It may have been physically difficult. You may not have had quite as much energy. You might have been a bit more touchy or irritable than you normally are. But if you engaged in the fast, then what you were doing is you, you intentionally gave up food as an outward expression of an inward desire to seek Jesus. Many of you also cut back on other things, less TV or less social media, as a way of putting more time into your relationship with the Lord. And the Father says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. And you may say, well, I'm not sure I sought him with all my heart, but more than normal. And so you engaged. And he revealed himself to you at a greater level. Even if it was maybe physically difficult, I would be willing to bet that everyone who participated connected with God on a greater level, sensed his presence. Maybe prayer for you, or you felt more connected to the Lord. Or when you read the Bible, it seemed more alive. Or if you were here uh, on a Wednesday night or you participated online, you kind of feel the spiritual atmosphere in the room was, was charged. People were hungry for the Lord, and you could sense that in worship. There were three of the best worship and prayer experiences we've had as a church. And so all of that is, is a result of us more intentionally pursuing the Lord, that kind of mountaintop experience. You may have experienced that on a short-term mission trip, at a retreat or at a camp. And so the question becomes, well, why can't we just stay there? When we're on the mountaintop, we see Jesus more clearly. That's really the fundamental uh, characteristic of a spiritual high. We see Jesus, we see who he is more clearly. Before Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain, Jesus was the son of God. He was the king. That didn't change when they climbed the mountain. The only thing that changed was they were allowed to see him and see his glory more fully. His humanity became, we'll say, a bit more translucent in his divinity. His glory shone through that a bit more uh, intensely than it had up to that point. It was a glimpse of who Jesus really is. He didn't become a new person on the mountain. Peter, James, and John just saw him more clearly. And that's what those mountaintops do for us. They allow us to see Jesus more clearly, who he really is. I think just that one word, Peter and, Jesus, and James and John went with Jesus to the mountain alone. There's a, uh, I think it was Justin was saying there's l less distractions or God helped me kind of peace, uh, work through those distractions so I could focus more. And those times when, again, you, you're cutting some things out, you're putting a bit more intentionality around seeking the Lord, it does become easier to see him for who he is. And so, again, that, then the question becomes, well, why can't we just keep doing that? Someone on Wednesday night said, can we keep this rolling? And if the, if the, if the question is, can we just keep fasting, then the answer is no, we can't. Kind of by definition, fasting is temporary. It's giving up certain foods that are part of your normal routine as an outward sign of an inward desire to seek the Lord. So many of you, many of us, we gave up animal products for the Daniel fast for the last three weeks. If you continue to do that, at some point you're not fasting, you're a vegan. 
It's not fasting anymore. A vegetarian is not fasting meat any more than I'm fasting eggplant. They're not part of either of our regular diets. It's not, a, it's not fasting. I just don't eat them. And again, fasting, it's, it's temporary. And we're giving up something part of our normal routine. Some of you, you watch less TV or, or something like that. And you can continue to do that. And at some point, that's just part of your normal routine. And that doesn't mean don't do it. But we can't live on the spiritual mountaintop. Most of our life is lived in the plain. It's lived on the parking lot. Not in the valley either. Just on the plain. Kind of, again, in, in the parking lot. And, and what we want to do as we move forward out of these 21 days, how do we take something with us so it's not just something we did for three weeks in January in 2021? We want to take from the mountaintop those things that the Lord would allow us to. The things that he would want us to. Peter, James, and John had a revelation. This is who Jesus really is. And that, that stuck with them. And I would hope at some point, it seems like maybe they were able to put the pieces together after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection to say, yeah, he really is the Son of God. And the crucifixion didn't mean that the Father had rejected him. We heard the Father say, this is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. They walked away with a revelation. So I would encourage you, before you break your fast, whenever you're going to do that, take a few minutes and ask the Lord, what do you want me to take away? It may be a truth. For me, it's very basic. It's almost embarrassing to say, during the fast, the thing that I feel most impressed by the Lord is for me to begin to see everyone as a child of God, either an actual child of God or a potential child of God, someone who's already reconciled or someone who's estranged that the Father desires to reconcile to himself. And again, that's, that's very basic. But as someone who's an introvert and reserved by nature, I need something like that to overcome my natural reticence to engage with people. It has to be that strong, or I'm, I'm not going to. I'm most likely not going to take the step of trying to engage with somebody, particularly somebody I don't, have a, I don't know very well. And so that's something I'm taking with me, and that's, that will become part of my regular prayer time. God, I pray that you would help me, the people that I'm going to see today, not, just, not the ones that I know, but all the people I'm, I don't know that I'm going to run into today, or the people who I only know superficially. Help me to see them as either as your children, people who are already in a relationship with you, or people who you desire to be in a relationship with you. And I pray as I begin to see people that way, you would help me overcome some of my natural my natural hesitancy to engage with people. And over time, I think that'll produce fruit. What is it for you? Or it may be a practice. You may have realized fasting's a thing for me. And so you may want to fast. Maybe you want to fast a meal a week or fast a, a day a month just as part of your, and, and that is a fast. That's not, that's different from what I was talking about earlier because it is periodic. And the Lord can meet you in that. Maybe you've decided. I talked to a guy the other day and he said, I didn't really, I didn't give up any food. I gave up the things that made me angry. He's like, I probably should be doing that anyway. And yes, you probably should. So like he wasn't on Twitter for three weeks. And maybe that's something he doesn't need to go back to. Maybe that's a practice for him because it's not super helpful. He said, I have more peace in my heart and I had a clear mind. So maybe, maybe that's something for him. And so I would I encourage you, before you break your fast, just ask the Lord, what would you have me take from this? And then there's two things for all of us that I want all of us to take. And again, whether you participated or not, you're part of this body. And so we all benefit. 
And, and, we, and I think the Lord wanted to use this three weeks to shape all of us collectively, not just individually. And two things I want you all and us all to keep in mind, that Jesus is with us and that Jesus is the King. Those two truths, those things are easy to see on the mountain. They're much more difficult to see on the plain. Those truths get obscured. Think about the reality for the nine. So there's demonic activity. This boy is in awful shape. You've got difficult people. The religious leaders are arguing with them. They're frustrated. They've cast demons out of people before. Mark 6, 12 says they drove out many demons. Jesus has sent them out. They've been successful in ministry without Jesus standing right next to them. He's already sent them out on a short-term mission trip. They healed a lot of people, and they drove out many demons. This is not a new situation for them. It's not their first rodeo. And, it, and whatever they're doing, it's not working. So they're frustrated. They're probably a bit embarrassed because there's a crowd. And honestly, I think, that there's, I think their feelings are hurt, and they're a bit envious of, the, of Peter, James, and John. If you look at the next section, Mark 9, 28, they begin to argue about who's the greatest. And you don't argue about who's the greatest if you're secure in your position in the group. And so I think those nine guys, I think their feelings are hurt and they're envious. And you got all that stuff kind of swirling in them and around them. And that can obscure the reality that Jesus is with you and that he's the king. And, and again, most of our life, it's lived on the plane. It's lived in the parking lot, not at the summit. And those things can tend to obscure our vision of who Jesus is the demonic activity, the evil that we see, difficult people that we encounter, people who just aren't pleasant to be around, our own emotions that can betray us and that are, uh, we're not necessarily proud of, envy or having our feelings hurt, those internal states that are kind of ugly, our own frustrations at times, with ourselves, with other people, with God, all of those things can obscure the reality that Jesus is with us and he's the king. And I want all of us to remember those things. Life is lived down here. And if we can remember those, if we can keep those things clear in our minds, it'll help. It'll help us move forward as sons and daughters and as missionaries, ones who have been sent by God to this Community. So that first thing, this idea that, that uh, God, that, excuse me, that Jesus is always with us. I think about the disciples when they're leaving and those nine are saying, why couldn't we cast that demon out? We, and I think implied in the question is like, we've done this before. What was different about this time? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. But if you remember, Jesus didn't pray. He just said to the demon, come out. He didn't pray. So what does he say? This kind only comes out by prayer and he doesn't pray. So what kind of what gives? Don't think of prayer as a magic formula or special words. Think of prayer as the means of communion or connection with the Lord. John 15, Jesus says, he's the vine and we're the branches and that everyone who remains in him bears much fruit. But those that don't remain in him can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't do anything. I think the nine disciples, they, were, they weren't abiding in Jesus during that encounter. They weren't completely cut off from him, of course. They were still his followers. They still loved him. He loved them. But I think because of their hurt feelings, because of that envy, 
I think that they were cut off from Jesus in that moment. And so they, the, the power source is, is him. It's nothing in them. And they had been cut off from that power source. And so they weren't effective in casting the demon out of this boy. And I think that, again, that can happen to us easily. See, see prayer as the means of abiding or prayer as the thing that keeps us connected to Jesus. When he says this kind only comes out by prayer. For, for us, when we think about this idea of Jesus is always with us, prayer is what keeps us conscious of that. Paul talks about praying without ceasing. What does that even mean? Am I supposed to pray 24 hours a day? I think there's a, there's a conscious sense of abiding in the presence of Jesus is what Paul is getting at. Again, it's not prayer necessarily as saying particular words. It's prayer as communion or prayer as connection, prayer as the means of relationship. And we want to cultivate that. It's easy when you're on the mountaintop because we can see him so clearly. And a lot of the distractions have, been, have faded away. Think about those of you that have been to camps and retreats. That's the reason they say turn off your cell phone. And that's the reason we go someplace else. It removes some of the daily distractions. So it makes it easier for us to focus. But that's not real life. This is. And so again, we can lose sight of the fact that Jesus is always with us. So what does it look like for you down on the plane to maintain that sense of connection? I would encourage you to ask the Lord. I can't give you the answers. God, what keeps me from being aware of your presence on Monday? What keeps me from being aware of your presence when I'm coaching, when I'm having a conversation with a coworker, when I'm commuting and somebody cuts me off, or when I'm running errands? What keeps me from being aware of your presence? And see what comes to mind. And then begin to bring those things to the Lord. And maybe this question too, what would it... What would it look like if you lived and if I lived aware that Jesus is always with us? I think if nothing else, we'd be more quick to ask him for help. And then that, and he would help. And then we'd be reminded that he's with us. And that kind of becomes that self-fulfilling circle. Self, and it's helpful. But when we assume that he's not with us, then we don't ask him for help. And that also just kind of feeds itself. Second thing, Jesus is the king. He's been given all power and authority. That's no different on the mountain or on the plain. No different from the summit and the parking lot. It gets obscured, though, when we're in the plain. Again, there's all of that kind of chaotic stuff that makes it more difficult to see who Jesus is. Think of that father when he says, if you can help, if you can help me. I see why he's skeptical. He's brought his son to the disciples, and the disciples can't do anything. So he may be thinking, well, they're, they're messengers of Jesus, and so maybe, maybe, maybe this demon's too strong. Maybe, we've, maybe this is the limit of his power. So I get his skepticism. I get why he says, if you can. And there are things that make, us, make it difficult for us to believe that Jesus is the king. You prayed for somebody to be healed, and they weren't healed. That can create skepticism and some doubt in us. You've been asking the Lord for direction, and you don't feel like you've heard anything, or maybe you, you took a step and it kind of blew up in your face. Those kinds of things can cause us 
to doubt and become skeptical moving forward. Is Jesus really the king? When I'm on the mountaintop, it's super clear. But in the ebb and flow of regular life, that reality can get obscured for us. Jesus' response when he says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And that's the key for us. The man's response, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's a great road for us to walk down. Where are the areas where I do believe? Where are the areas where it's easy for me to trust Jesus? And where are the areas that are difficult for me? And the man is a great, he's a great example for us. He doesn't say, I believe, I, this is an area where I don't believe, I'll come back once I do. Let me go figure it out. Let me go work up some more faith and then I'll bring my boy back when I feel ready. I believe, help me in my unbelief. Faith is a gift. We can ask him to help us. God, this is difficult for me. It's hard for me to believe, Jesus, that you're the king in this, in, when it comes to sickness because I've seen these people not get well. Help me. In my unbelief, Jesus, it's hard for me to see you as the king when it comes to provision because I grew up in this home and we never had enough. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus, it's hard for me to see you as the king when it comes, fill in the blank and then say, help me in my unbelief. And he will if you ask him. Now, I want to be really clear. The way he's going to help you most likely is he's going to bring you to a decision where you have the opportunity to trust him or not. And you're going to be scared to death. You're not going to suddenly have this welling up of some internal sense of it's going to happen. And you're going to have the fork in the road and you're going to have a choice. Am I going to step out as an expression of trust or not? And when you do, even with your knees knocking, that's faith. And then... After you take that step, you'll sense a greater level of that internal assurance. It's almost always how it works. Help me in my unbelief, and he will. He'll bring you to a place where you get the opportunity to trust him again. And when you do, he'll meet you in that. I'm not guaranteeing results. I'm just saying he'll meet you when you take that step. We've got to be done. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to close with communion. Under your chair, there's a basket or a bucket. There's something that's holding bread and juice on, on your row. So there should be a basket per row. And what I want you to do in a minute, we're going to take it together. So we'll all break off a piece of that bread. If you need gluten-free bread, raise your hand. Kim will bring you some. Anybody need gluten-free, raise your hand. We've got some for you. So in a minute, we're going to break off a piece of bread and eat it, and then, we'll, then you'll take one of those juice cups, peel back the tab, and we'll drink the juice together. Communion, to me, it serves so many. It, it, it's the, the meanings, the implication of communion are so many, and they're all powerful. For today, I'm thinking about communion as a reminder that God keeps his promises. He told the Israelites, I'm going to send you a, a Messiah and they waited for hundreds of years, and at just the right time, Jesus came. Jesus, God's a promise keeper, and so when he says, when Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, 
We want to take that and say, absolutely, you're always with us. When Jesus says he's the king, we want to say, absolutely. We want to take that as truth for us, even when we can't see it. Communion reminds us that God keeps his promises, and communion also reminds us Jesus is sufficient. One of the reasons that we can't live on the mountain is because most, the the people who have the greatest need, they're on the plane. They're in the parking lot. And so God sends us back. That boy is in terrible shape. His father is desperate. We all interact with people every day and every week. They may not be physically thrown on the ground and convulsing, but they're in the grip of the enemy. We all interact with people every week. They may not have a kid who they feel like at any moment he could die. He could be thrown into the fire or thrown into the water. But they are desperate for help. And God sends us from the mountain back to the plain. Because we're the ones that know who can help them. We know Jesus is with us. And we know he's the king. We know he's sufficient for every situation. And that's what one of the things communion reminds us of. He's enough. He's not just all that we need. He's all that everybody needs. So would you close your eyes with me? If you're online, I would love for you to get whatever you have in your house for bread and juice and take it with us as well. Take that bread, break off a piece and eat it. It's the body of Christ broken for you. And recognize as you do, Jesus is sufficient. He's everything that you need. And he's everything that everybody you encounter needs. Peel off that lid and drink the juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Let that remind you and remind me the lengths that the Father went to to be with us, even giving his only son so that we could be reconciled to him. He's always with you. Look what he went through to make it possible for relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray for the kids in the room, any students, adults, those who are watching online, I pray that as we engage in this practice that for some they've been doing this for this hundreds and hundreds of times they've taken communion. My prayer is that in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would seal in each one of our hearts the realities that Jesus is sufficient. He's the King. And He's always with us. I pray for all of us as we walk out of this 21-day fast that you would seal the work that you did in our hearts individually and that you would use it to shape us corporately as a people. We're thankful for the way that you work, that you use something as kind of mundane as not eating food or turning off the TV 
to reveal yourself to us in greater and greater ways. We're thankful that you're a God who desires to be found. You're a God who desires to reveal yourself in greater levels. And we want to we wanna take you up on that. So would you show us all as we move from the mountaintop back to the plain, what does that look like in the dailiness of our life? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close. We're not. It's 1037. So we just closed. So sorry we ran a little bit long. Um, so glad that you guys were here today. And again, for all of, those, all of you who participated in the fast, I'm really thankful. I was, we are, as a staff, we were blown away by the number of people who participated and by the depth of engagement. And there's going to be fruit. And we won't necessarily be able to tie it back to this three weeks, but I'm confident that there's going to be fruit in our homes, in this church, and in this community uh, because of the work that was put in over these last few weeks. So you guys have a great rest of your day. Be wise. I don't know that you should go for the bacon double cheeseburger, but enjoy. See y'all next week.